0: You are listening to the I Am In podcast produced by the Boise-Nampa Institute of Religion. We've asked members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to share how their lives have been blessed by living the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the Savior's request, come follow me. They have all responded. I am in. There are not many people in this world that can boast that they are the only boy in a family of 12 children. Our next speaker has spent his life beating the odds, building businesses from scratch, and blessing those around him with his gifts, talents, wealth, and testimony. I am Michelle Burke, and today we will hear from David Collister. Brother Dave Collister grew up in Boise, Idaho, the only son of Judge Marion J. Collister. It was a celebration in the whole community when after eight daughters, the local federal judge finally had a son. Three more sisters followed, making the family an even dozen. Dave graduated from Bora High School, served a church mission in Boston, Massachusetts, and attended college at BYU in Provo, Utah. It was during his college years that he started his first business, Five Buck Pizza. He is a local businessman who has developed land, built subdivisions, and owned numerous businesses, including Big River Construction, Hard Rock Excavation, and most recently, Roma Design Jewelry. He enjoys a good risk, especially when it follows with a big reward. Dave's love for the outdoors has been shared with the young men he has worked with over the last three decades. He has blessed many with his testimony of Christ, through both the youth program at church and the Boy Scout program in the community. He and his wife, Becky, are the parents of four incredible kids.
1: Thanks for letting me come today. Uh, thank you for showing up today. It's been kind of nice. How are you guys? I, uh, I'm Michelle's brother. I'm uh, one of one boy and 11 girls in my family. I got to get these because I talk about things that are important to me. Um, Like
0: your sisters.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like my sisters. Um, uh, Some of which are probably watching today and laughing their tail off because I'm up here. watching. Okay, it'll get more. It'll get worse. Um, uh, Yeah, could you imagine uh, you're up in heaven, and uh, someone rings a bell and says, someone's got to go. These guys have eight daughters, and... uh, we got to give him a son. Anybody? Anybody?
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, and I'm like... <laughs> and we had and three more daughters. So I've got eleven sisters. I was raised in Boise. Um, had a good childhood. Uh, other than the eleven sisters, the parents were great. <laughs> but my father was a wonderful man. He was a judge here in town. Uh, and he was a church builder. And that's how we grew up. Um, he was the bishop, he was the state president. Um, when he was a bishop, he, he physically had to build our church. Back then, we had to raise the money, or at least half the money, uh, and we had to propose a church being built in our area if we had enough uh, people to, to fill it up. Uh, and as the bishop, he was kind of the contractor. And so, he, we had a lot of ownership. You know, when you go to the church and your dad helped build it, it's kind of cool. You don't run into that kind of personalization anymore, but that's what we used to have. Um, Dad made sure we went to every church activity. Now, why would you go to a church activity that you didn't have a lot of interest in? Why? Would you go to a church activity that you didn't have a lot of interest in? You go to build the church. That's why you go. You know, we don't... We aren't part of the church to be takers. The church really has no need for takers. The church is built to give, it's for givers. And so everything, everything the church does is dependent upon those who are willing to give. You know, some of you here today are a blessing to others who are here today. Because if you were the only person this person in this room, it would be awkward. Right? And sometimes, that's, the, that's, how you, that's how you promote a cause. I mean, if you went out to have a parade because you had a, you had a strong feeling and you wanted to protest and, and gather together, it's the numbers that make the difference. It's you physically being there to support the cause that makes the difference. You may not get anything, any benefit out of that. But to promote the cause and to bless the lives of others is a great gift you can give with your presence. And that's that's part of citizenship. Yeah I'm good at this. That's part of citizenship. And uh, my father taught citizenship uh, since he was a judge. He taught us to be good citizens in the community and he taught us to be good citizens in the church. And I've always believed that. Um, But I had a problem when I was younger. My father uh, aptly diagnosed it and that was uh, my mom had a really good uh, pattern. She had learned to raise eight very successful girls and she got it down to where she knew exactly what they needed, when they needed it. And then I came along and it was a really awkward fit. The hand-me-downs were terrible. <laughs> and I, we went bumping along and I was not good at the piano and so we had to go to the violin and I wasn't good at the violin. and. Uh, my mom was just frustrated because the pattern that she had developed to raise children was frustrated by me. Um, after doing these things, I think uh, you know she put me in some plays, uh, a boys choir. Dad finally looked at me and said, son, you are a wimp. You are a wimp. And we've got to do something about that. Well, I was fortunate that I had a cousin who was like the man's man. This guy was like huge, built like a rock. He had a construction company in town. He was only 25 years old, very successful. And uh, one day, dad put me in the car, drove me out to my cousin's house and said, you are hiring my son. <laughs> and I didn't know what was going on. I thought, well this is kinda cool. I'm gonna have a job. Uh, I didn't really know what that was, honestly. Um, but. I, and I suspect, I don't even know, but I kind of suspect my dad could have even paid my cousin to take me because I wasn't worth much. Uh, he paid me two dollars an hour. Per, I'm sure I wasn't worth that. I remember the first day he took me out to work. Uh, he took me out to a foundation that I was, he asked me to strip, take the forms off, and left me. Drove off. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I had never worked really. Uh, I was not physically strong. I was not mentally strong. It took me about two hours before I got some sort of a sunstroke, called my mom and had her come pick me up. I was a wimp. But that cousin of mine, he drove over to my house at five o'clock every morning for two summers and picked me up. And he put me on his crew and taught me how to work for two summers. I was the little scrawny kid Most of the kids he hired were BSU football players because they were huge and he was throwing forms all over the place and he had a lot of work to do. But the forms were like 60 to 80 pounds and that's about what I weighed. (laughs) So they would laugh as I would wobble across you know with one form. It took me about half a day to get it over the trailer. They're all throwing them all over the place. Um, Just to really gross you out, we drank a lot of water and so someone would always bring a couple gallons of frozen water and, uh, and we would share it, and by the end of the day it always tasted kind of funny, like menthol, because some of the guys chewed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just how it was. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, but over these, uh, over these days, my big old cousin taught me how to work. Now I had kind of a rich dad, poor dad moment. My dad was uh, a state employee, then a federal employee as a judge. So he had regular hours. He didn't have a lot of time off. Uh, because he was also a bishop or state president. He would come home, would have dinner, and he'd go back to the church. So I didn't see a lot of my dad that way. And then I watched this cousin of mine. This cousin of mine was 25 years old, never went through college. He was making two to three times as much as my father, and he took three months off every year to go to go hunting. And I'm like, what is wrong with this picture? My dad went through law school. He was a well, well-respected man in his community but he didn't have a lot of time. My cousin had all the time in the world and that's when I decided I was going to work for myself. It became obvious to me that if I wanted to spend time with my family, if I wanted to be the kind of dad that could spend a lot of time, I had to run my own schedule. So I started looking around and out in the construction world, it's kind of fun to see because you see lots of business, lots of commerce, Young people, old people, everyone with skills, no skills, people were running businesses to build homes. It was a fascinating environment, very capitalistic environment, uh, and very competitive. And it was a fantastic place to learn about business, and I did. Uh, I learned how to work, and I learned about business. Um, I also had a little political leaning. I don't know why. Maybe it's because my dad was uh, in, in a judge. But I started to learn about politics. Some of the legislators from the Eastern 9 who would come stay at our house during the legislative sessions, and I would pay attention. I interned for the Attorney General when I was in high school. Um, and I started thinking, this would be a good place to serve my community. I could do this. This would be interesting. So those kinds of things, when I was young, I learned how to work. And I kind of learned a certain citizenship ethic with my church and with my community. And that's kind of what drove me. That's kind of what started who I was. Now I went to BYU and I, I wanted to figure out how I was going to be a small businessman so I started thinking a business degree, a business finance degree. And I realized I didn't need a degree. I needed an education. I wasn't going to get hired by anybody. I didn't need a GPA. I didn't need all those kinds of things you would normally need if you wanted to go out in the world and, and, and have a good, uh, a good resume. What I needed was skills, and I thought, well, with my political ambitions and with my small business ambitions, I just put together a list. I needed to know how to write better than I did. I wanted to learn better history. Uh, I wanted to learn how to speak. I wanted to learn uh, how to do marketing. I needed accounting, some advertising. I started putting in a list of skills that I wanted to get from college. And that's how I approached my education. Now I got lucky. Now now you've got some, there are some uh, modified degrees that you can kind of do that kind of thing, entrepreneurship and others, depending on where you're at. But I got really lucky because my mission president called me one day, and he's, he was the dean of the communication department. And he said, I'd like you to come over, I'd like you to come over and get a communications degree. Come on over to my, to my, uh, to, uh, my area, my department, and uh, let's do this. And I said, well, I will do that if, and I went down the criteria. I said, I need to change this class for this class because you didn't have accounting in the communications degree. And I, and I went down and he let me change several classes so that I could get the kind of uh, instruction that I wanted and that I needed for what I wanted to do in my life. Um, and it was the, one of the neatest things experiences for me because I could put together the kinds of skills that I wanted for my life plan. Now, I was ambitious to start a business. I was frustrated, uh, 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 frustrated student. I don't know if you guys have ever felt that way, but I wanted to get going. And uh, I finally decided, it just came to me, that there's no reason why I couldn't get going. Most of us think, well, we go through college and then the next phase is we'll go through employment or a career. But I finally realized I don't have to wait. And so I decided to go look for a business. I wanted to go look for an opportunity and I didn't even know what that was. I finally found there's a little out-of- uh, out-of-business pizza place in Provo that was just uh, just closed. And I thought, I wonder if I could get a deal. I had no money. I wonder if I could make a deal with a guy who was hard on his luck and had a closed pizza place and was paying rent. So I found this guy. He was a DJ down in Salt Lake. And he had sold this business to someone else and taken it back. He was hard luck business. This is perfect for me. Because I didn't have anything to offer him. But he had a really terrible situation. Worse than nothing. He was paying to keep a business that that wasn't moving. So I negotiated with that guy and told him straight out, "Look, I got 500 bucks, but I can make payments. But I'll tell you, if I can't make it, I'm just going to hand you the business back. And if you'll agree to that... I'll give it a whirl and that was my deal. So he said yes. He, had, he didn't have a lot of choices. No one wanted to buy his business. So I was, a, I was a, good, uh, a good option for him. I had never been in the food business before, but I was an ambitious young business man. I wanted to learn. Uh, and so uh, he helped me open this up. I called a Five buck Pizza. Uh, And we just sold pizza to college students. How hard could that be, right? So uh, I had to literally learn very quickly how to make pizza. I had to learn how to run a pizza oven, prep tables, all this stuff. Maybe some of you have been in the food business. I never had. I grew up in construction. I knew concrete. I knew some framing. I knew nothing about food. But I really kind of had an intuitive feel for business because I understood that customers pay the bills. What I needed was a product they could afford of good enough quality that they'd buy it. And then I needed to communicate with them. And I was now in these classes, marketing, uh, uh, you know, consumer awareness, all these classes that really were very relative to what I was doing. And so every day I would work on my business while going to classes that were teaching me how to work better on my business. I started terrible. I, I put out some terrible pizzas. It was embarrassing. I didn't know how to use the oven very well. Did you know in a slate oven that if you put a pizza on it and then take it out and I put another one, that particular circle is colder than the rest of the sleigh. So I would put the next one on, maybe partially on, partially off. It wasn't paying attention. The next pizza would be partially cooked, partially not. And I would send it out because I didn't know it. It had been in there 10 minutes. <laughs> so I, this is the kind of stuff I did. My customers had to tell me all the mistakes I was making. And I had to, I had to fix them faster than I lost money. And that's basically how it went. I had a, really had a steep learning curve. I worked, uh, I opened at 4, I was, work, I was going full-time to school, opened at 4, closed at 12, did my, uh, did my books, went and deposited my money, and then I had to run flyers. I had to have advertising for the next day, which I couldn't afford, so I had flyers that I printed up on a photocopier, and I taped them to doors. And we, had, in Provo, there's big apartment buildings. It's very densely populated, not, as, not so much here. But so populated, I could do 3,000 doors a night. So I would would work, school during the day, uh, pizzas during the afternoon, evening, and early in the morning, I would go, let do flyers. You know what? I was as happy as I could be. I had my own business. I had something going. And every day I was getting better at it. I mean, I made lots of mistakes. It was embarrassing, some of the things I did. But I got better at it every single day. Now, the first semester, after the first semester was over, I calculated, I had made a whopping... Three dollars and fifty-six cents an hour, (laughs) but it was profitable. Okay, I made money. I didn't lose money. Couldn't. I had no money to lose. (laughs) That's a high motivation. This uh, the first year I made eighteen thousand dollars. The first entire year at five dollars. I think it's five dollars and twenty-five cents an hour. So I had a business. It wasn't much. I mean, by, by most standards, that many businessmen would come into town and, and they would laugh. It didn't, it didn't make a lot of money. But I was building something, and I was learning tremendously. Fortunate for me, I kept learning. And slowly I replaced equipment. I hired people that worked at other pizza places. I learned from everything I could learn to. I went to a pizza convention down in Las Vegas one day and absolutely embarrassed myself because I couldn't make a pizza in front of all these other experts. I mean, I had a lot of embarrassing moments, but the, uh, but the thing slowly started to grow. The next year, I made thir- uh, $36,000, and it was uh, $18 an hour. But it was enough that it was kind of starting to look like a business. And by the third year, see, the third year I made 70000 bucks, about $36 an hour. And after the third year, I sold it for $140,000. So while I was doing that, I was going to school and learning. But in the second year, I bought another pizza place because I had a little bit of money. And I didn't spend much. I mean, I I think it cost me 500 bucks a month to live at the most. Uh, That same year, I bought a burger place down in Springville. And I think the third third year, uh, I opened up Johnny B's Comedy Club in Provo. So by the end of the third year, I had two pizza places, a burger place, and my comedy club. We had so much fun. I mean, it was, it was tremendously fun. Um, and I was learning business very, very well. Um, great experiences. So my college years really were go to class, learn a concept, practice a concept. That's what, I, that's what I was doing in college. Learn how to advertise, practice advertising with your own money. You got really good at it really fast because if you didn't you lost your own money. Um, uh, I eventually graduated with a communications degree but really a great business experience. So my wife and I uh, once she graduated which was right pretty close after I graduated we sold these businesses and moved to Boise. We want to raise our family here Uh, and we tried to replicate our success here, and we just didn't. Um, we took our money, and invested in real estate, rental properties, and did quite well with that. But I poked around at some different businesses, and you really, uh, really couldn't replicate that uh, very well. So I got back in the concrete business, which is my, the trade that I learned when I was in, in high school. And with that, I made a good, a good living. Uh, in that with the investment money that I got from these businesses, put into real estate, Uh, our wealth started growing, and we were doing fine. Um, I made enough to live on fine. We were doing well. Uh, Our investments were doing super. And we could see where we had opportunities to grow. And then one day I had a a friend tell me about an excavation company that was going up for sale. And uh, we went and talked to the guy and decided to buy it. It would be a good match to my concrete company. We sold a couple pieces of real estate, paid for it. And uh, that absolutely exploded. We went from five employees to 100 employees in about four or five years. During that time, um, I was able to start a building company, a development company. And uh, um, it was in the early 2000s and things went absolutely crazy. Um, uh, I was, uh, gee, our excavation company is doing 200 homes a month. Uh, I think we've done over 10,000 jobs in that company. Um, uh, Building homes, fourplexes, subdivisions. uh, Things got really big really fast. Uh, And then in July of 2006, the world ended. My economic world ended. In one month, the banks in uh, Boise decided to stop giving draws to their builders and developers. And all the people I was doing business for could not pay their bills, they couldn't pay me. They just stopped. They couldn't get their draws. They couldn't pay me. So all this money I had in all these other developments of other developers, or uh, the money I had in the other builders that had hired me to do their work or their excavation, it just sat, and everything I had went away. I would worked about, at that time I worked about 15 years to get to a pretty good place. And money's not everything, but I was kind of enjoying uh building the, building these enterprises and and growing my wealth and uh at age forty, maybe it's forty three um, I lost everything. uh The only thing I was able to hang on to was my house, but I lost every bit of piece of real estate I had, and I had a lot uh, almost every employee I had uh, over the next couple of years, I had to let go, oh, it was painful One by one, you had to tell a young man or a young woman. They no longer had a job with me. And you know, I know what that causes. Some of them caused divorce, lost their cars, lost their houses. This economy just uh, went in the uh, the toilet and it took a lot of people with them. And I had to watch that carnage uh, on a personal level and it was difficult to do. My ward kind of got torn apart. I had realtors, developers, builders in my ward. And one by one, they lost their homes. They lost their cars. They had to move. They went away. It was a super tough time. You know, I, I was not a real spender. I'm not a real materialistic guy. I love making money, honestly, because I love business. But I don't really care much about the, the uh, trinkets that the money brings. I've always kind of had a more of a long perspective of that. Frankly, I've always felt like any money I earned was God's. I've always felt like He was my partner. And um, if I earned it, you know, sure I worked hard for it. Sometimes I was lucky and sometimes I wasn't. But I always really felt like God was my partner because I grew up believing uh, that we're here on earth to, to do His will. And uh, I really kind of understood that plan of salvation. And so materialism just never took over my heart. So it's hard to lose these resources, but more importantly, it was hard to lose the opportunities that they brought. I was able to run companies, build things, grow things, work with wonderful people, and all those opportunities went away. And literally, I spent the next two years auctioning off all of the things that I had, uh, all the, the wealth that I had, lots, developments, buildings, rentals, to pay banks and meet uh, meet my obligations. And that was not fun. In fact, it's super difficult to do. But at some point, you have to pick up your big boy pants and move on. And that was hard. Uh, but there came a time when uh, I realized I had to go figure out how to make some money, and the market that I was in, the real estate and construction market was dead, and it was dead for years. So I went looking. Now, I'd I'd had some experience with business in Provo, and I sold some businesses with a broker, so I went down to the brokers in Boise, and I I started looking through their uh, inventory of businesses that they had, and I found a guy that had started a jewelry business and got into Costco in their roadshow program, just this little, Little business. And he had a heart attack and needed to get out of it and so he was gonna sell it. And he was gonna sell it cheap because it was it hadn't been there very long. It wasn't worth a lot of money, but it was in Costco. And Costco was not uh, experiencing the kind of downturn the rest of the United States was. Somehow in those little roof of Costco was protecting them economically from all the things that were carnage that was going on everywhere else. And I didn't have any resources once again. <laughs> Uh, But this man, he let me buy his business with a note um, and pay him on time. And so here I was again. This is just like I was in college. I had almost nothing. I had an opportunity that I'd found uh, to try to build again. And my my, uh, back was against the wall. We were eating on our food storage. Um, We just had no income, had no other way to make a living. So I went out and started going on the road to do these road shows in Costco's all over the United States. Uh, And I was a good salesman because I was desperate. It's amazing what motivation does for people. Um, And so I started selling jewelry. And we built, uh, my wife and I, we built that business. Uh, I think within eight years, we built it up to over $50 billion. But more importantly, it helped us pay all our bills. It helped us pay all those people that we owed money to because of people that couldn't pay us. It took me almost eight years so, to pay everybody back uh, for the losses in the real estate that I incurred. But it was a huge blessing. Well, let me tell you, I watched people lose money like I did. And I watched their reactions. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of people that are in love with money and things, and it destroyed them. Destroyed them because they lost their things. You know, I'm just sitting here on the earth as a son of Jesus, a son of our Heavenly Father, brother of Jesus Christ. I never really had those feelings. Sure, I mourned my losses, licked my wounds, but it didn't make any difference how much money I had. It just didn't. It didn't even matter. And as a result, I didn't go into the kind of despair that many of my friends had. I remember, I remember wives telling me they sat in their closet and cried and just bawled because they lost everything. We lost everything. But it's just an experience. Really, it's an experience. And what I didn't lose, I didn't lose experiences and the, the, uh, the business acumen that I'd gained through this trail. And so when we went back into business in the jewelry business, I dragged all that with me and was able to grow it faster and quicker and uh, and more successful because we don't lose those things. You lose your material material stuff, but you don't lose all the experiences that you had. It stays with you, and it will always stay with you. And so we had a, another great ride. We built a business. Uh, Becky and I had the opportunity to to design jewelry, to meet the needs of our customers, to work with a big company like Costco, which was fascinating. We we got to the point where we had Uh, 27 manufacturers in 18 different countries. And we could go travel to these different countries and work with the manufacturer to keep these products going in Costco. Great experiences, fantastic experiences, none of which I'd had if I hadn't lost everything in my real estate market. So it was a huge blessing to me. My growth was exponential because of the difficulties I had in my economic life. What a blessing it was. Now, you know, Costco is kind of Moved that program down when COVID hit, and we went mostly online, and it's still a good business, not as good as it was. But I had earned enough money not just to pay my bills, but now to start developing again with cash. Now I don't use a bank, and now I'm back uh, developing properties again. And frankly, I have a great life. And I have a great life because, frankly, because materialism doesn't mean a lot to me. Um, I love having these business careers and and moving uh, forward that way. (laughs) Let me tell you one little thing on the side. Along with this, something else happened. And that was, I had, remember I had political ambitions. When I was uh, around 30, uh, I got elected to the state legislature. I was the youngest legislator in the state. And I served uh, six years there. And I really thought that was the beginning of a political career. When I got in there and and, and thought I was gonna give great service and thought it was gonna be very rewarding, I was incredibly disappointed with how little uh, could be done, with how jaded the process was. You guys have seen politics in the news, it's in the news a lot. It wasn't as gratifying as I had hoped. In fact, I was so disappointing, I really lost taste for my political ambitions. And I kind of had a hollow feeling in me because I wanted to serve the rest of my life in that way. I really thought that was a way I could contribute. And then one day, uh, my bishop's counselor came to me and said he'd like me to help with the uh, young men in our ward. And so I was a leader in the young men in our ward. And I started a path of one of the most gratifying paths in my life. When I started working with these young men, I finally found a place where service was gratifying, was so wonderful, because these young men were eager to learn. They were good kids who just needed uh, guidance. They needed the they needed the gospel of Jesus Christ in their life. But they needed it in a vigorous, difficult way that, that helped them grow. And that was some of the most greatest times of my life. Later on I received a calling. It was I had a bishop come in my house. I I was in four wards in the same house because we we're in a very growing area. bishop came to my house one day he says, he says, Dave, I need, need to ask you if you'll help me. I'm like, what do you need? He says, well, our youth are wimps. I know all about that, Bishop. <laughs> uh, he says, our youth are wimps. He says, I've got to find a way to, to make our, our young men men. They need challenges. They have too much prosperity. They have too little, uh, too few challenges. They're not growing. I'm like, well, I, I'm like, Bishop, I I know how to do that, but you're going to get some
0: complaints.
1: (laughs) So, Bishop, I'll take on that challenge. If you promise me that all those complaints stay with you, I don't want to hear them. And he said, deal. And he kept that deal because he did get complaints. (laughs) The first activity we had, I bought a bunch of pheasants and and I taught all these young punks how to dress out a bird. I had 23 young boys, a third of which threw up. <laughs> Two of them went home and cried. Two of them didn't end up at school the next day because they were so sick of what they saw. They had a lot there's a lot of wimpitis in this group. Um, a young man should know how to dress out a bird, and I taught him. Bishop got lots of complaints and I didn't hear a word from him. And that started a really good path. Um, I tell you what, I love these young men because I didn't look at them as the knotheads they were. And they were knotheads. They were problematic knotheads. But I could see them 20 or 30 years down the line. And the growth that they could have was amazing. And that's the kid I always saw. So it never bothered me. The stuff they said, the weird things they did, you know, I don't think you, you, a writer for Seinfeld couldn't come up with the things that I experienced. It was great. It was fascinating. I'll just tell you, I'll tell you one. I, just these guys. We're, we're up at a mountain lake. We're sitting there next to the fire. And Ashton says to Easton, Easton, I have hairy legs. Do you have hairy legs? Easton says, yeah, I have hairy legs. Ashton says, sometimes I sit in my room with the window open and the wind comes in. And it feels like someone's touching my legs. You ever had an experience? Easton says, yeah, yeah, I've had the experience. Ashton says, my dad doesn't. He shaves his legs.
0: <laughs>
1: Where do you come up with this stuff? I mean, this is the kind of stuff I saw every day. And I just, it, it was so much fun. Um, I could see a lot of youth leaders weren't fit for it. It drove them crazy. I laughed my tail off for years. I had so much fun with these guys. But I'll tell you one of the most meaningful things we've ever done. This particular group and this particular bishop were fantastic. And we decided we needed to find a way to really impact these boys. Um, and so we came up with the, this idea. We, um, I've been, I taught these boys how to backpack. I was tough on them. I took them in the worst trails, sometimes no trails. I wore, their, I wore them out. And they lived up to it. They would complain and then they would praise their accomplishments. <laughs> it's just the way it was. Um, but we had a lot of fun doing it. But, but one time we decided to take all our young men, deacons, teachers, and priests, uh, and give them a common experience. And So here's what we did. That summer we taught them about buried records, covenants, missions, And we started teaching them about these concepts of buried records, covenants, and missions. Didn't tell them why. And then we had a super activity where we went backpacking up to a mountain I'll call Covenant Mountain. And we took these three quorums, three different ways. And in the middle of the week, we all met up on a real high saddle. And the bishop met him. And he talked to these young men about their obligations to go on a mission. And he preached to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he challenged these young men to make a covenant to do everything they could to qualify for a a mission. Now, I had 43 young men up there. It was one of the most spiritual times we've ever had as a group. These young men really dug deep, because, you know, young men have always, a lot of them think, I'll go on a mission, or at least they say they will. But the bishop asked them to sign a covenant that we were going to bury in that mountain. And you could tell it was quiet. There was a lot of soul searching. A lot of thinking. And then one by one, these 43 young men signed this covenant. And we went from that saddle up to the peak, the highest peak in the area. You could see for hundreds of miles and we buried that covenant deep in that mountain in a crevice that no one will ever find. And these young men have never forgotten it. Each year, a few of these young men go back up there in a pilgrimage to reside when they get their, when they get their mission calls. It takes them, it's about eight or nine miles. It's a hard hike. They go all the way back in there, get on top of this peak, dig this back out of where we hit it, and they initial it. Then they acknowledge that they kept their covenant. I'll tell you, this church service is the most gratifying thing, say, from being a husband and a father, that I've ever done if you get a chance to impact young men or women if you get a chance to get a calling from your bishop please embrace it with all you have. Take the opportunity to serve. I mean service always seems so hollow to me but now it seems incredibly rich because I've had the opportunity to spend so much time with some of these really fantastic young men not everyone thinks they're so fantastic, because they're weird. <laughs> but they are fantastic because of what they become. And I get to play a little, little role in that. And again, it's one of the most satisfying things I've ever done. I hope that you have a great life. I hope that you have many opportunities in your life. I hope more than that, that you'll embrace those opportunities, and see them for what they are. Don't get sidetracked by wealth or the trinkets of this earth. Stay true to the things that matter. I hope that you'll build your your, uh, communities that you're in, but I really hope you'll build the Church of Jesus Christ, that you'll show up, that you'll show up and be a part of that, be a good citizen And if the bishop ever sits you down and asks you to do something, embrace it. It may be the most fulfilling thing you've ever done. Try to do it with all your heart. Try to be the best of whatever that calling is of anyone in the church. Why wouldn't you? And I promise you that if you do that, you'll be tremendously satisfied with your opportunities here on the earth. Sometimes we feel empty. Sometimes we feel like we're not accomplishing what we want. The way to solve that is to help others. It just is. You'll always be empty if you're, if you're only looking at yourself. The mirror is one of the emptiest places on earth. But the service of others is one of the most fulfilling. Thank you for letting me share this. This is the kind of stuff I love to do. I wish I could do it without crying, but I can't because it's meaningful to me. I really care about it. Anyway, I, I appreciate that. I'm so thankful for the opportunities the Lord has given me, the experiences he's given me to grow. And I'm sure he's not done. I'm 58, so I'm probably halfway through my life. I should be 116, that makes sense. I hope he gives me some more opportunities. say His name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.